All right. Well, welcome. Welcome on behalf of Christ alone. Welcome. Uh, it is a blessing, an honor, a privilege uh, to be hosting here uh, for the second year in a row. Last year was a blessing and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the day. We're going to be here all day, so y'all might as well just get comfortable while you're there. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see. My title of the sermon is Blessed But Broken. Blessed But Broken. And if you look in your packets, you'll see that the text we're going to go through today is Genesis 3. And we're going to go through the page 6. Page 6. Genesis 3, we're going to go through the whole chapter. Now, I want to start as early in history as we can. So I'm not going to start there in Genesis. I'm going to start in John 1, 1 through 3. Just listen as I read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him has, was not anything made that was made. Hmm. This is just another divine perspective into the beginning of things, the Genesis, as we talk, talked about, that Brother David shared with us just a few moments ago. In the beginning, when God saw fit to create all things. What did he do? He spoke all things into existence through and by who? By the word of God. And the spirit of God made all things better. He made creation come alive, you could say. The fullness of the Godhead, the Trinity, made all of these things and saw that it was good. We saw that in Genesis 1, didn't we? Imagine how beautiful creation was. If you've ever spent time in nature, not Mother Nature, the Father's creation, amen? Then you've seen the beauty of God's handiwork. You've seen his fingerprint all over creation. Some of the most breathtaking insights uh, you can imagine uh, the sights that come to mind when you think about the oceans, the beaches, islands, rainforests, the woods, mountains, the colors, the smells, the feeling of God's creation. That's wonderful, isn't it? Now multiply that number by whatever number you can think of. Multiply that beauty by whatever number, and you might have an idea of what it meant when it says God saw that all things were good. Because what we're seeing right now is not what was made at first. This is just a distortion, a perversion of it, as we'll talk about it. But God wasn't finished when he did all of that, was he? He wasn't finished when he created all of these things. No, he would go on to create a masterpiece, literally. He was inspired to create something or someone in his image. And here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to downplay the creation of man. 
There's many that like to downplay, downplay how great of a creature we really are. It was the same in St. Augustine's day. He said, men go forth to wonder at the heights of mountains, the huge waves of the sea, the broad flow of the rivers, the extent of the ocean in the courses of the stars and omit to wonder at themselves. You are an excellent creation, men and women. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Why is it that we give so much of our praise in all to the rest of God's creation, but fail to realize that we are his greatest creation? We make a big deal about nature and all these things around us, but forget that when we see a human being, we are looking at the highest excellence of God's creative power. Now, all of this kind of talk got me wondering, do you think we would judge each other righteously and love each other properly and rule the world correctly if we understood these truths? Do you think? I don't think we would. We've experienced enough life to see that knowing what's right doesn't necessarily make us do what's right. Amen. We can know what's right, but still have every desire to do what's wrong. We know ourselves, don't we? Being informed that we are made in the image of God is not enough. Now, we must know the God of whose image we are made in. We have to know who we are modeled after. We have to fear this God, love this God, trust this God, walk with this God whose image we are made in. If anything is going to change, amen. We need to be restored. And that's what this whole conference is about. I mean, we can look around and clearly see that creation is broken. But why? How did we get here? How do we go from all things being good to all things being corrupted? Well, today we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll discuss what happened. We'll discover that although we can look around and see that creation is broken, it is still blessed. And I pray that we can walk away from this session with hearts that are heavy with conviction and spirits that are lightened of our guilt. But before we go further in our time, let us pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you be with us right now. Help us in this, in this time. Help us to hear your word. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Be with us during this time. Bless us and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Does somebody be able to hand me that water right there, please? Thank you. Thank you. Now, we have three points to look at. The perversion, the punishment, and the promise of God's image bearers at the fall. 
And we have a lot of ground to cover, so follow along with me as we move through the text, verse by verse. In the beginning, we saw that God brought peace and order to the world, specifically to the Garden of Eden, where he placed his greatest creation, man and woman, to do what? To tend the garden, all right? And then we see someone enter into the garden, trying to disturb the peace in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Keep game, y'all. Already we see the perversion of truth. And by perversion, I mean this, the altering of something from its original course a distortion, a corruption of what was first intended. The serpent knows that God didn't say these exact words in this exact way. He never said that they couldn't eat from any tree in the garden. But notice that he plants a seed of questioning God's word in the woman's mind. Notice that. He's crafty, ain't he? Verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Let me ask you this. Off the top of your head, maybe you know this already. Is that what God said? I'm going to read it for you. Genesis 2, 15 through 7. Just listen as I read this out loud. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, this is no different than the game of telephone. Is it? Y'all remember the game of telephone. You get a group of people together. You start on one side of the line. You tell them a message and you tell them to pass it down the line. And by the time you get to the end, usually that message is a little bit messed up, isn't it? By the time, especially if you were like me and the rest of the people I played the game with, we're going to turn that message into something funny. <laughs> Again, the fall of man, right? imperfection in hearing a message and communicating it. It's, it's like uh, what Brother David talked about when he said uh, he told his family there was going to be frost. And so then he looks over and his kid's licking the ground and what, what are you doing? Well, you said there was going to be frosting. There's a disconnect in the communication. God didn't mention anything about not touching the tree. Somewhere along the lines, words were added to what God, what, what God said. You see, the serpent took advantage of the fact that although the man and woman were good, they weren't perfect. No one is perfect, are they? No one outside of God. Let's look at it, verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, a perversion of the truth. The serpent intentionally perverted the truth. He caused doubt in God's trustworthiness. Are you sure you can trust this God? He said God's word was not true, that it wouldn't happen the way he said it would. They wouldn't die. He implied that God's word has bad intentions behind it, didn't he? It was not good as, they, as he claimed all things were up to this point. God knows they will become greater when they eat of the forbidden fruit. And that's why he's telling them not to eat of it. He wants to hold them back. The serpent said that the God they served was not beautiful as the garden that they lived in. He must be an ugly God. That was the message behind the, the message that the serpent was preaching. And Adam allowed all of this to go down in front of his face, didn't he? Because the text says Adam was there the whole time. He allowed the perversion of the truth. Now, verses 6 and 7 show us the perversion of goodness, the perversion of man and woman's goodness to be specific. I'll read verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I'll say that part again. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The woman ate the forbidden fruit. And Adam watched his wife disobey God's word and then followed her lead. She gave some forbidden fruit to him and he ate. And what happened? The text says that their eyes were open. They saw something that was not there before. They were naked. They were exposed for all to see. And there's some Hebrew scholars that believe that before their disobedience, Adam and his wife were clothed in light. They were light beings, light so bright that it never left them exposed. They were covered in light. It seems as if when they lost their innocence, they lost their covering. Their sin exposed them. So what do they do? They try to cover their sin. And they do it in a way that they come up with. This new wisdom that they have. They know how to do this. They're wise now. They're in the same position as God now. They take fig leaves, sew them together, and in their newfound wisdom, they cover their sin with the work of their hands. Thinking they were okay. Until God shows up. Read with me verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, things aren't the same anymore, are they? They used to walk around with God in the cool of the day, following in perfect harmony the Lord God. But something's lost. They don't look the same. The image they were made in has been what? It's been perverted. They are no longer good to be in God's presence without fear. There's a separation that's taken place the moment they ate the forbidden fruit. They can recognize a separation, a division, a, a severing of a good relationship with God. And it is at this point that we see a perversion of that which was once true and good and beautiful. And just like in the beginning, God begins to bring order to the chaos in the garden. Verse, verse, verses 9 through 13, read it with me. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. God wasn't questioning Adam because he didn't know what was going on. What was he doing? He was giving Adam a chance to confess and come clean. Where are you, Adam? Why have you separated and hidden yourself from me, Adam? Hear the love and the tenderness in God's voice as we read that. Now, Adam initially responds by admitting he was afraid of God's presence. But then things go left, and he blames everyone else, including God, for his present condition. What does he say? It was the woman's fault, God. It was the woman you gave me, God. I didn't ask for her. <laughs> you said it wasn't good for me to be alone. You said that. That was your doing. In this moment, we see the foreshadowing of what would come. Look at how quickly man turns on his own wife and fellow image bearer. Look how quickly man turns against the God who created him in his own image. Spitting in the face of the father who brought him into this world. Now, the serpent never stopped tempting and deceiving man and woman. He would just come in different forms. And we see him even today doing that, don't we? He would deceive man and woman into forgetting that all humans are made in the image of God. Though we are somewhat distorted. What would we see them do? They would Kill their brother who is made in God's image. 
they would sell and enslave their neighbor who was made in God's image. They would walk past someone who was made in God's image that was hungry, thirsty, in need, forgetting that they are walking past God's image bearer when they do so. All kinds of atrocities would be done to fellow image bearers of God, and man would refuse to take accountability. He would just blame it on everyone else, wouldn't he? Everyone else but himself. And that's because even worse than all hell breaking loose on earth, in this moment, all hell was breaking loose in man. Man rebelled against God's lordship and he shook his bony fist at his creator. In this moment, man became the judge of what's good and what's evil, not God. In this moment, all that was true and good and beautiful became distorted in man's eyes. And so understanding this leads us to our first point today, if you look at your packets. Point number one, the image bearers of God were perverted at the fall. Well, God still has to bring some order to this chaos in the garden, doesn't he? In verses 14 and 15, God deals with the serpent. 14 and 15, I'll read. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed, of you, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, man and serpent would never forget this moment that we're looking at. Every time we see a snake with its graceful appearance in majestic ways, we are reminded of how Satan deceived us by taking the form of something so beautiful and amazing yet something so dangerous. Every time we see a snake slithering on its belly, eating the dust of the earth, we are reminded that God punished the rest of creation for our sin. It was because of us. We are responsible for the brokenness of creation. We fell victim to the Satan-possessed serpent. And also this, Satan will never forget how we brought a greater curse upon him in this moment. We told the truth. We exposed the, sat the, the serpent. Satan chose the wrong one to mess with, though. He should have left God's image bearers alone, shouldn't he? He messed with God's children, didn't he? And so despite all the hissing and biting at man's offspring, the heel of a man, God says, would crush his head one day. In verse 16, we see the woman being punished. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
God's punishment of the woman had two parts. The first is that he would multi, he would greatly multiply her pain, literally hard labor she would endure when it came to childbirth. But the second part of the woman's punishment is that her desire will be for her husband. It will be against her husband's desire. This desire being spoken is not emotional desire, though. You see, men and women were clearly two separate individuals with differing ways and natures. But up to this point, they didn't know what it was like to get into an argument, did they? They didn't know what it was like to disagree in a way that ruined the harmony that were between them. Some of the married folk know what I'm talking about. Has stated plainly, before the fall, their disagreements only led to sharpening one another. But after the fall, their disagreements cut each other in harmful ways. And it severed the perfect harmony that they once had. Now, God says, the woman will have a psychological desire to dominate and control her husband. And what will happen? Adam will rule over her. Where they once ruled together, side by side, as loving equally, uh, loving equals that equally loved each other, now one would dominate and the other would seek to dominate the other. Man's leadership and woman's desires would be opposed to one another. And many wrongs would be committed on both sides because of this. Now, lastly, we see the man being punished in verses 17 through 19. I'll read it. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall what? Return. Now we can clearly see that God held Adam more responsible than his wife. Whereas the woman is punished in one verse, Adam gets three. Psychologically, Adam was punished. He would try to master the ground, but would find opposition. And at last he would physically return to the ground. Uh, man's work of the ground would end in him resting in the ground. Amen. This is not what God desired from the beginning. It didn't please him in this moment to see his image bearers suffering in this way. He knew what would happen from this point forward in the world. But he ordained it to be this way, didn't he? And check it. God's grace is shown and that he doesn't make man live forever in this condition, does he? I think we forget about the grace of God, even in this moment. He doesn't make man live forever in a broken world. He could have. And we'll talk more of 
God's grace being displayed even in death. But for now, understanding these truths leads us to our second point. Point number two, the image bearers of God were punished at the fall. Now, don't miss the big picture. The fall brought death to creation. But the aftermath that came from man's disobedience was more of a result rather than a punishment. Because man listened to the voice of his wife rather than the word of God, he would suffer the consequences. And he rebuked the lies and the temptation before him and embraced the truth of God. If he would have crushed the head of the serpent right then and there and rebuked his wife, he wouldn't have been in this situation, would he have? But then again, had this tragic moment never happened, we would never get to truly see God's love. So this had to happen. In verse 20, God's love is seen in his continuing grace. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Don't miss that. Up until this point, any time that she was called or referred to, it was always woman. Even this whole message, I've been referring to her as woman. That's because up to this point, her identity has been found in her counterpart. She was named woman because she was taken from man. But after the fall, her identity is found in God's word. You see, God's punishment included a promise, didn't it? Eve would suffer pain in childbirth, but she would still give birth. They should have died, but she still gives birth. She definitely came from man, but now man would come from her. You see, she was given a greater name than woman. Her name would now be Eve, which means life. God would use her to bring life to all of humanity. And though humanity deserved to die, God would continue to show grace and breathed more of his breath into the offspring of Eve. In verses 21 through 23, God's love is seen in his justice and his judgments. Now, we don't usually understand love and judgment being in the same sentence, do we? Not on the same accord, but in this sense, we're going to see it. I'll read verses 21 through 23. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now, I know we might feel bad for our first father and our mother, but they're, they're guilty, aren't they? When sin is committed against God, sacrifice needs to take place, doesn't it? Well, when we, we, we see God showing them how forgiveness of sin would happen, 
The text says God made garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. Where are these skins coming from? God being the great high priest, he slaughtered an animal, probably making a sacrifice on their behalf so that they would see how sacrifices are to be done. And then what did he do? He clothed Adam and Eve with the sacrifice made on their behalf. Imagine the pain that Adam and Eve must have felt witnessing innocent blood being shed because of what they had done. God's wrath and justice had to be appeased, and it is only by what? The shedding of innocent blood that sins can truly be forgiven. More than this, God realized he must remove man from the garden or greater injustices would take place. Just follow along here. Imagine if God didn't take away access to the tree of life. Imagine if wicked men was still able to eat from the tree of life. All the evils you could imagine, all the evils of humanity that's been experienced would be exponentially worse if man could live forever. It's a good thing that wicked men and wicked women are not allowed to live forever on this earth. Lastly, verse 24 says, God drove out the man and at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What was God doing? He was making sure that fallen, sinful man would not return to the tree of life in his present condition. He could only eat of the tree of life if something drastically changed. Man's sin being covered, we learn in this text, is not enough. The covering of sin is not enough. Man's sin had to be removed. He had to be forgiven. And we see this in our text, don't we? From Eve, it was promised that there would be life. And this life would crush the head of the serpent who terrorizes all of Eve's offspring. The fall of man brought the curse of death and misery. But the promised seed saved man from his injury. Man's death was brought forth thanks to a forbidden tree. But now we thank God for death that took place on a different tree. In the worst way, creation needed a savior. And in its greatest sense, God's love is seen in him sending a savior to restore creation. Thanks to his grace, creation didn't completely lose hope. Thanks to his mercy, humanity didn't completely die. And thanks to his love, we can eat again of the tree of life. Understanding all of this leads us to our third and final point. Point number three, the image bearers of God 
were promised at the fall. Now, as we conclude, let's look at how Christ gives us everything that Satan promised we could have on our own. First, Satan lied and told Eve that she could eat of the forbidden fruit, deceiving her and saying, you will not surely die. He said that, didn't he? Well, we saw how Eve did die and how Adam died and how all humans after them died. It's tragic when we think about the ones that we've lost along the way. We see death all the time. So we see that the serpent lied, didn't he? The serpent was giving an empty promise. It leaves you empty and unfulfilled. It leaves you desperate and broken. That's why the greatest conquerors, leaders, and prominent men and women, they go to the grave unsatisfied when they only seek after the things of this world. Nothing on this earth can satisfy us. Nothing on this broken planet can quench our thirst. Only the living water of Christ, the bread of life. Only eating from the tree of life can do that. Satan says, eat the fruit and you will not surely die. But Christ says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Believe in Christ and you will receive eternal life. You will not surely die. Secondly, Satan lied and told Eve that she could eat of the forbidden fruit for deceiving her, saying, your eyes will be opened. We do see the eyes of man and woman were opened, but only to their nakedness. Only to their own sin. They saw that without the innocence of God clothing them, they were left exposed. They would know the difference between good and evil, but they would continually choose evil, wouldn't they? They would see good and call it evil, and they would see evil and call it good. That's what happened when we ate of that fruit. They would cast their eyes that were supposed to be open upon damnable things. They would look proudly upon their rebellion and blasphemies. They would look past the hungry and the suffering. They would look at those made in God's image as though they were not. And with their eyes now being open, they would look to worthless idols to save them, but would find no salvation on the day of judgment. Their eyes were open that they were blind to the one that could save them from the wrath of God. Satan says, eat the fruit and your eyes will be opened. But, but about Christ, it is said, he will open the eyes of the blind. He gives sight to those who cannot see. It also says we look up to Christ on the cross that we may see. And on the cross, what does Christ do? He looks down and he says to all, for a judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
believe in Christ and your eyes will be opened. You will behold his glory forever and ever. Lastly, Satan lied and told Eve, you will be like God. Well, Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit. And were they any more like God? In fact, after being made in God's image, they sinned and it caused a breach, a disruption, a perversion in being made in his likeness. In their quest for self-autonomy, being Lord over their lives rather than God, they had become more like the devil than God. Saints, there is only one way to be like God, and that is to place your faith in God that he may bring restoration to your life, making you more and more into his image once again. But God has to do that, doesn't he? Satan says, eat the fruit and you will be like God. But scripture says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 49 for you note takers. Believe in Christ, be born again, and you will be like God. This is the promise of Christ a promise from God that you can trust. Now, the promise of Christ is the only hope that we have in this life. That's all we have as we drift along in this broken, fallen world. Creation has fallen from the glory it once had. It's a fallen world that is broken in every way, isn't it? Every day, life it bears witness to its brokenness. This world needs to be fixed. And one day it will. It'll be fixed one day. I'll even jump on the ledge and say that it is already happening because you and I are witnesses of God's resurrection power. Amen. God brings life to that which is dead. We were once dead in our sins, but we are made new. He breathes life into us. He did it before, he continues to do it within us, and he will do it in the future. This world is broken, absolutely, but it is blessed. Pastor Los will speak more on this later. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for everyone that is here. Ask that you would bless the rest of this conference, Lord. Open our eyes. Help us to be more like you. Help us to understand that restoration is only found in you. We cannot make ourselves better. Only in you do we have any type of glory. Only in you do we find our worth and our purpose. Help us to be reminded of these truths. 
In Jesus' name, amen.